Hi, everyone. Unfortunately, we must again begin the show paying respects to someone prolific in the anime community that has sadly passed away. A veteran voice actor who was active in the business for decades as an actor. And in the later, I guess, most recent two decades, I suppose, of his life was Best known for playing a lot of, you know, very famous, like, elderly characters in anime. And, yes, sadly, Motomo Kiyokawa passed away on August 17th of Phenomia. He was 87. And I am very sad to hear that he has passed away. His best known role was Fuyutsuki in Evangelion, which he continued reprising role all the way up to the final rebuild last year. And he was also Walter in Helsing, Norman in Big O, Shinmei in Time of Eve. Again, he really, in the later years of his life, kind of had a knack of being cast of like kind of these like older characters. It was Price and Pokemon. The list goes on, but he always brought so much to his roles, a very distinct voice. And no matter the temperament of the character, whether it be more of a gone collector type or someone who does end up going restrained like Walter and Helen saying, like he really brought a lot to his performances. So it is just sad to hear that he has passed away, but I'm glad that he seemed to have lived a very full life and had a very storied career. So we pay our respects to him and send out our condolences in regards to his friends and family, and just want to offer a little bit of time on his memory. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 214. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamramiyasha. And today we have another news catch-up for you, covering all the latest news in terms of serializations that have begun, serializations that have ended. We got a bunch of news about new anime. We got big box office updates. There's going to be a lot to go over in another, you know, classic story manga news month. Though there aren't as many licenses. August was a pretty dry month for licenses, but we still got a few to talk about there as well. Shockingly, there are not as many licenses to talk about, and I am going to enjoy that while I can. Uh, Not that I don't like talking about licenses, but man, it's very rare that we don't get a month where where we talk about even like less than 15 licenses even, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, man. Um, but in lieu of licensing news, we definitely have a lot of anime stuff to talk about. Uh, a lot of really exciting anime news that I can't wait to talk about later. But before we get on to any of that, we do have some lists to go over. First one being the monthly New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list. Uh, this one being for the month of August 2022. And as always, we're going to start at the bottom and move up to the top. Uh, in terms of the manga that are on the list, at number 14, we have Jujutsu Kaisen, Volume 16. Uh, and then at number 12 on the list, we have Chainsaw Man, Volume 11, the final volume of Part 1 of Chainsaw Man. At number 10 on the list, we have Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Volume 1. At number nine, we have Kaiju number eight, volume three on the list. At number eight, we have Spy Family, volume one. And then at number five, we have My Hero Academia, volume 31, which I believe is the newest volume of My Hero Academia. And uh, that's about it for all the manga on the list. Pretty varied in terms of like what's on the list. One volume from every like hit IP that's out right now, actually, which is uh, kind of interesting. Basically, pretty well represented from all the big franchises. Yeah, every franchise gets an equal spotlight, which is not something I feel like we see very often on some of these lists. But, uh, you know, as we get onto the book scan list that, uh, well, I guess it's it's still kind of the case. There aren't too many manga that, like, totally take up all the spots on this list, like normal. You know, because in the past we've had, like, you know, My Hero Academia take up all the list, uh, Demon Slayer take up all the list, Chainsaw Man, Spy Family. I think one of the last times we talked about these lists, Spy Family really took over this list. Yeah, definitely got an anime boost. Oh, for sure. Um, I think it's a bit more equal this time around, but yeah, let's just get into the monthly book scan list uh, for July 2022. And we're going to start at the top here because at number two on the list is My Hero Academia, volume 31. Once again, the newest volume of My Hero Academia. And then I believe once you go down on the list, uh, near the bottom, we have volume one of My Hero Academia, ranking at number 17. And uh, I believe that's all the My Hero Academia on the list. So, you know, again, as we've mentioned before, My Hero Academia doesn't take over the list nearly as often as it used to, but it's still there on the list. It still does very, very well. And then next up at number three on the list, we have Spy Family Volume 1. A lot of people getting in the Spy Family still. And then let's see, as for Spy Family, we have Volume 7, ranking at number 10, along with Volume 6, ranking at number 19, and Volume 2, ranking at number 20. Spy Family, I think it's safe to say, is the series that takes up the most spots on this list, but still a pretty modest showing. Yeah, uh, not as much domination as when every volume was on just a <laughs> month or two ago. Oh, man. Honestly, with that next season coming out, or I guess next half of season one, I forget how we're quantifying that. Next core, I should say. Um, I want to see if we can reach those heights again with the next batch of anime episodes that are going to come out soon. Next up at number four on the list, we have Kaiju number eight, volume three. And I believe that is the only volume of Kaiju number eight on the list. But still, Kaiju number eight, I'm really happy to see it doing well. And I'm also very excited for when eventually that anime comes out. And we'll just see a, a whole lot of Kaiju takeover. Uh, and then next up at number seven, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Volume 1, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 13, along with the Stories of Water and Flame Gaiden Volume, ranking at number 16. And that's about it for Demon Slayer. A very modest showing for Demon Slayer, but once again, is still doing very well. Uh, next up at number eight on the list, we have Chainsaw Man Volume 11. Volume 10 of Chainsaw Man ranks at number 15. And I believe that's it for Chainsaw Man. Now, Chainsaw Man for sure. We know now for sure that the anime is coming out this October. I am 100% expecting a full takeover of this list when Chainsaw Man drops. <laughs> 
that's going to be a sight to see. Next up at number nine on the list, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 16. Uh, and then, yeah, I believe that's the only volume of Jujutsu Kaisen on the list right now. No anime right now, so it's a little dry, but new volumes still continue to do very well. So that's nice to see. Now, this one, I think, is probably the biggest surprise or at least the biggest new addition to this list, we have the first Omnibus volume of Tokyo Revengers from Seven Seas, ranking at number 11 on the list. Tokyo Revengers, definitely a series that I know a lot of people were really clamoring for in print. Seven Seas was the company to deliver on that. And yeah, I'm interested in seeing how often we'll see Tokyo Revengers on the list in particular, because again, that's a series that people have been really wanting in print for a while. Yeah, it has a very strong start and it definitely is looking to be, you know, another pretty big series in terms of sales, in terms of popularity. So yeah, we'll see if future volumes also maintain this momentum. We still see them in these uh, top lists. But yeah, it's, if they do, Seven Seas definitely, you know, picked up another big hit on their hands. Another big like shonen favorite to rival the jump hits. I'm trying to think, this might be a whole other thing, but I'm trying to think, I don't think we really see Seven Seas titles on this list usually, do we? I can't remember the last one we've seen, if we've seen one at all. Not a ton of regular titles, in my recollection. Okay. What I think could potentially happen is uh, we could have another situation kind of like we have with uh, Toilet Bat Hanako-kun, where I could easily see Tokyo Revengers like being the one consistent series from Seven Seas that constantly places on this list. And who knows, it could even become probably its best-selling title, if not one of its best-selling titles, you know? I wouldn't be surprised. I think it could very much end up going in that direction. Next up, we have The Liminal Zone from Junji Ito at number 12 on the list. The latest collection of Junji Ito stories, I'm assuming. Um, Junji Ito, whenever he has a new workout, is always going to place on this list. It's just a given at this point. Uh, and then, yes, we have the deluxe edition of Berserk, volume 11, breaking at number 14, with volume 1 of said edition breaking at number 18. Berserk, once again, another series that's always doing well. Once again, still Dark Horse's number one best-selling manga, if not comic, so it's to be expected. And then, yeah, I don't know if there's like a whole lot else I can add to this list unless uh, you have any uh, kind of stray final thoughts. I think the biggest surprise is just Tokyo Revengers. Though it shouldn't be too big of a surprise considering how popular that series was. But yeah, it's again starting off on a strong start. Otherwise, it's kind of the usual Wiz Media titles that we see on this list pretty much every month. Mm -hmm, and for sure. two volumes of Berserk, so usually it's only like one every now and then. So good to see, you know, some good momentum continue for Berserk. But yeah, otherwise, not too much deviation from what we usually expect from the list outside of Revengers. I'd say so, yeah. But yeah, with all that out of the way, I guess we can just move on to serialization news. Lum, if you want to go ahead with our first piece. Yeah, so mostly be talking about new series. However, we do have some series that have ended. And we'll start off with Children of the Whales. That has come to an end with its 23rd volume. And that's had a very lengthy run. It's been going for about nine years now. So this is a series that, you know, the art is beautiful. I really liked what I've read of it. I definitely want to get back into it and finish reading it 
as the final volumes come out over here. But yes, the final volume is set to come out in a couple months. And yeah, it's going to be curious, interesting to see how it ends and uh, hear people's reactions to that. It's not the only series that has ended. There have been two endings in Shonen Jump, of course, recently. You know, that's how Jump goes. You know, there's stuff that comes in new, so the old stuff has to get junked. And uh, that's definitely the case with Dorondoran and Earthchild both have ended recently. And yeah, I will say that I think that Earthchild had the stronger ending of the two. Uh, I actually warmed up to that series and I thought the ending was pretty sweet. Okay. Dorondoran also had the final chapter, like the final moments between Dora and Kusanagi were pretty cute and sweet. But like overall, it had the whole final arc rushed problem. Oh, man. That is like... You know, it's like, okay, things are too happening too fast for me really to get into it. <laughs> Especially because it had the problems throughout its run of constantly introducing new characters and then, like, just throwing them away or doing nothing with them. And especially in the final arc, it's like, oh, we have to focus on all these, like, characters that might have been big. Like, ha- you know, the equivalent to the Soul Society captains or the Hashira. This was the longer-running series. You know, we couldn't develop them, but so we got to give them all, like, their fight in, in, in this final arc, I guess. So it's, it had that problem of, like, okay, you, you got to focus on the characters that really matter here, but you're just really sort of stretching yourself. But, uh, yeah, Doran Dororan, you know, was a pretty frustrating series because of how oddly it was paced. I think Earthchild, again, I warmed up to it towards the end, and I like kind of the direction it went in, in terms of its scale, and then, yeah, I just think the correlation of that series is pretty sweet, so I, I very much appreciated the final chapter. That's a shame about Earthchild, because, um, and I mean, you know, I, I know I've mentioned here and there on the podcast that I predicted that Doron Doron would have been the series with the best chance of like maybe making it big because it is a lot more traditional, uh, you know, compared to the former. But I, I was really rooting for Earthchild because, you know, for people who didn't listen to our first impressions, I loved it right out of the gate. And I genuinely thought it was like one of the more interesting titles in Jump. But yeah, it's it's, it's a shame that it had to end because I, I, I was genuinely really enjoying it. Yeah, at least six solves in the fact that at least it came to a pretty nice conclusion, all things considered. That's good to hear. But I guess we should talk about uh, two new Jump series that have started up. And at the time of this recording, one of them started up, and I'm sure by the time this is out, uh, the other one would already have started. But just to let people know, on the Shonen Jump app right now, you can read the first chapter of Tadaichi Nakama's Tokyo Demon Bride Story, which is a story about a childhood promise of marriage that comes back to haunt a young man, literally. She's like kind of a demon spirit, you know, of the mountains. So the main character saves her life when she was uh, a child because she can't swim. She so she was like drowning, and then so he you know found her and like kind of did CPR on her, and they became friends, and then they kind of made you know like a childhood marriage promise, and she took that like very seriously. So now ten years later, she's kind of come to marry him. But also, he has, like, this kind of special, like, blood that, like, makes him very, like, appealing to a lot of demons. So Mm. she's also kind of there to protect him from being kind of hunted down by, like, these other, like, demons and stuff. This sounds kind of similar to Love Rush a little bit. Not 
Completely, because it's like, oh, he has, like, special blood that they want to, like, devour and eat him more so than it's, like, you know, they're attracted to him. Like, in Love Rush, he had, like, this special, like, gene that, like, made all the women go crazier than yes. <laughs> It's not quite the case here. And actually, it's not very much a etchy series, like, reading. I read through the first chapter and just pretty tame, so... I don't know if it'll go in more in a harem-y direction, because there's a lot of girls in the opening spread and whatnot, and I'm like, hmm, that makes me a little suspicious. But overall, no, it's just pretty funny and cute so far. I think my favorite character is probably the sister uh, of the main guy, who is just super, like, nonplussed about <laughs> the fact that this demon girl is come to marry uh, her brother, and also, like, was, like, brandishing a sword at her, and was <laughs> jealous because she didn't understand that she was his sister and so when she's like apologizing later oh I'm sorry for you know trying to attack your katana she's like saying nah it's cool easy seven so I just find her kind of like a a personality pretty amusing but uh yeah again I just think it's kind of cute and charming so far pretty likable leads the main guy isn't as kind of bland is like these type of uh, rom-com meets go. He has some sass to him. And then he has some admirable guys and this heroic streak. So yeah, I am enjoying it so far based on the first chapter. We'll talk more about that later for sure. Uh, when we cover it properly in a few weeks or so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just to mention real quick, we are going to have another series coming in Jump Again, it'll probably already be out on the Shona Jump app by the time you're listening to this, but we are getting a series from Shinpei Watanabe entitled Ginka and Ryuna, in which the blurb in uh, that issue of Shona Jump describes the series as a series about two innocent characters spinning around a magical nomadic fantasy world. Uh, so that that sounds to be more like a, you know, a typical kind of adventure type of series, but I don't know, it could be fun, interesting. I'm definitely interested in checking it out when it's out, though. Yeah, the characters and the the key art for the cute. The characters in the key art, uh, she have a, I'm assuming a young boy riding on top of probably a robot or something. That's what I'm assuming that is. The face really made me think, because uh, I looked at it quick and I thought, oh, is that Boichi's like little avatar thing? So I thought like Boichi had something to do with the series at first, but I don't think that's the case. Um, It just looked kind of similar to me. I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, it's like just a big white blob and like a, a pilot's hat and then he has like a little scarf. And honestly, I'm kind of getting like Baymaxy vibes. I was just going to say, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I wonder, um, I mean, maybe not. I don't know. This is just me making guesses. But I wonder if it'll be similar to something like Heart Gear, where it's like it's a it's a series about a young kid and like their robot friend. Like I, I could get behind that personally. Well, and by the end of the first chapter of Hard Gear, said robot friend kind of shed, like, his more cuddly persona and then became, you know, look <laughs> more like a, a battle android by Shonen hot dude. So maybe that'll happen in the series, too. Yes, yes, and he became so hot. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, no, This just from the little we know about this so far at the time of this recording, I'm up for checking it out. For sure. Uh, in terms of other new series, there are also two new series on Manga Plus, Skeleton Double, as well as Ghostbuster Osamu. And again, these are also pretty enjoyable and interesting new series. Skeleton Double is 
basically about this kid who encounters like this invisible talking skull and it bestows on him powers to become like invisible and also with that invisibility he gets kind of some other extra superpowers in terms of like strength and also regenerative ability and then there's whole mystery conspiracy behind like his father's mysterious death when he was a child and an organization of a bunch of people going after this skull uh, so it's it's a pretty interesting interesting uh, mystery action so far and then Ghostbusters song is a fun exorcism comedy basically it's about like this very nerdy exorcist girl and the taco exorcist girl who mainly specializes in dealing with spirits who are like super nerds and otaku so like she deals with someone who is like super obsessed and has nerd actions because you know, she's clinging on to her favorite ship, which is like the reverse of the main popular ship. So that was an amusing conflict. And then the second chapter, they were encounter a spirit who's just obsessed with this gotcha game and getting the right roles to get her favorite character. So it, it's pretty funny in the way that it just shows the obsession nerdy people can have and like literally saying, okay, that's their lingering attachment to this role is just they're obsessed with that. It kind of reminds me of kind of some of the premises that would be in Renee in terms of just how minor and slight like some of these experiences grievances are that caused them to to cause such havoc and then also Azam was pretty funny it's like someone who gets also similarly overly enthusiastic about these nerdy pursuits so she kind of needs her new friend to kind of keep her grounded and not lose track of like what she's supposed to do second chapter this big tension of like whether she'll also get distracted by that like spirit like pulling all these pulls in the games like want to also spend money on the gacha game instead of getting back to the exorcism so but it's pretty funny so far but definitely again we'll talk more about these series uh in a few weeks in our next like simuls catch-up episode uh, in terms of other like new jump plus titles sooner date writer of such work says cross account <laughs> And Time Paradox Ghost Rider, clearly, you know, a beloved author here on uh, Manga Mavericks. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> they have come out uh, with a new short work that's running on Shonen Jump Plus right now. It's going to be like a five-chapter miniseries, but it's called Class Made. Uh, they teamed up with artist Tugawa for this, and uh, just based on the key art and then the chapter as I'm flipping through it, it uh, definitely seems kind of like an actually made series. So mm, you don't say. I don't know if this is something that I uh, sounds like you're into it. <laughs> No, I, I was just saying, oh, you don't say. This is etchy. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell. <laughs> but yeah, so this is, you know, another author we've covered before. So it's not worth mentioning. I don't know if it'll end up on Manga Plus at all. But, you know, interesting to see that they're uh, continuing to write some new stuff. But though I feel like fans of Time Paradox will maybe be <laughs> disappointed in the, the direction that he's gone in with this new work. Yeah, look, he tried something with Time Paradox Ghost Rider. It didn't work out. Now he has to go back to what definitely for sure probably will make him more money. I'm assuming anyway. You know, can't begrudge him for that. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying I get it. Like, I, I don't totally blame him. It, it makes sense. So uh, we got some One Punch Man news. At the time of this recording, the manga drawn by Yusuke Murata based on one's original webcomic, is on hiatus, but it is coming back eventually uh, within the month to start up a new arc, which I think is really interesting. And you can let me know if you know about this more than I do, because I, I know that the manga recently ended its Garo arc, if I understand correctly. 
Yeah, finally finished the big Monster Association arc and the fight with Garo. So it basically finally, yeah, it reached the ending of the arc. So it makes sense that, yeah, it's taking a short break as they're preparing to finally go into the stuff beyond that. Which, you know, it's going to be an interesting adjustment considering the Garo arc is like over two thirds of the series <laughs> at this point, And it's been running for like eight years. Oh. So, yeah, it's going to be going to be interesting to go from all this Monster Association stuff to something new. But. Yeah, no, I mean, the arc has, like, completely finished. It reached the ending point that was in the webcomic ending point, even though there were definitely a lot of detours that Yusuke Murata took as he embellished things. He added a whole lot of his own ideas and stuff. So that's why I took it even longer. But yeah. What I'm interested in is that, because um, I think the last time I kind of like skimmed through the webcomic, because I, I think, I know the webcomic itself was on hiatus for a bit, and I'm not sure if that's still running. And again, people can let me know if I'm wrong about this, because I don't really know. But if I understand correctly, I don't know if there's like a whole lot of material for Yusuke Murata to cover after the end of the Garo arc. At the very least, I don't know if there's an in- I don't know if there's enough material to start like a whole new arc, I guess. So I guess I'm just kind of interested in seeing. There are like a bunch of arcs after the Monster Association stuff. Ah, okay, okay. So like I, I have to imagine this is a lot of material for <laughs> Yusuke Murata still to cover. Because I'm like looking and it's like there's like seven eight more arcs okay i i genuinely did not know that there was that much material after the garo arc i i genuinely thought the garo arc like just took up most of the webcomic too but that's that's fair then okay that's on me i genuinely was kind of worried that like yusuke murata was gonna run out of material but that doesn't seem to be the case so never mind yeah, I mean, I don't know how long these arcs are relative to the Monster Association stuff, but yeah, I mean, it seems like there's still plenty more storylines to go to. Okay, that's good then. I don't have any knowledge of any of One Punch Man, like, after the Garo arc, so, like, I'm really excited to get the stuff that I'm not, like, familiar with even through Osmosis at all. Like, that's gonna be really exciting. For sure. But, yeah, you know, I've been keeping up with One Punch Man, and, of course, the fight between Saitama and Garo, long built up, uh, and definitely just incredibly cool in scale, just a really incredible, explosive finale, so, yeah, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see, like, where the series goes next, and, like, what can top the places that fight went, but, I mean, you know, as they're getting into, like, interference with gods and all this stuff, like, uh, yeah, I guess it can go even in a more cosmic direction than it already has, but we'll, we'll see. I can't wait to watch Saitama fight god. That'd be fucking cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he already has taken a step to that, in a sense. And they have literally set up a god, so it's like, okay. Okay, that's eventually cool. Eventually, <laughs> we know they're, they're going to fight this thing. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of uh, gods, we actually are getting a new Saint Seiya spin-off manga about Poseidon. Okay, okay. And that's interesting. It's going to be called Saint Seiya, We Rise of Poseidon. It's going to come out on the September 16th issue of Champion Red. And yeah, it's going to be done by Tsunaki Suda. So it's interesting. It's basically going to be about Poseidon dealing with a new threat to the Earth while everyone is fighting Hades in the Hades arc. So that's kind of interesting to have focus on that. All the saints are, you know, in Hades and, you know, there's a new threat and I guess Poseidon takes the charge. And uh, I don't know if he does it all himself because like most of his subordinates like 
died in the, <laughs> the Poseidon arc. But uh, yeah, that's, it's interesting to try to spotlight, get some more focus on that character. So That's interesting because um, for those who haven't listened to our Manga Mavericks book club miniseries read through on Saint Seiya at patreon.com slash Doc and I, when we went through that arc, I think that was one of our criticisms of the arc is that like, I don't know, like Poseidon just kind of felt underwhelming as like an antagonist almost in that arc. At least that was our opinion anyway. So like, I'm totally up for like more material about Poseidon. I th- I think he's a character that like could use a spinoff. It's even more interesting that like this is taking place during the Hades arc because there is a point during the Hades arc, you know, our main characters are fighting against Hades subordinates or whatever. And then <laughs> Poseidon just suddenly sends them their cold armor like it was like an email or something <laughs> that that was that was one of the most <laughs> baffling moments in that final arc of saint Seiya, and i'm i'm really curious to see how this spinoff is going to incorporate that moment i want to see what's going on with poseidon then actually so i'm actually totally 100 all for this spinoff yeah i think it could be very interesting uh, unfortunately i don't know if we'll get it in a physical capacity over here i hope so because i'd read it yeah before we move on, I do want to correct. I believe that I had said that Sinaradate like was a writer before. No, he's the artist of uh, all the series you mentioned before. But yeah, uh, to move on to other like series or other things returning, Lucky Star is actually going to be returning after a like eight year hiatus. Wow. It's going to be resuming serialization in Mitania magazine on November 9th. So it's going to be interesting to see Lucky Star return. I definitely have not had much familiarity with the original manga. And, uh, you know, the anime was so big back in the day that I did watch it a little bit. But it's also not the one that uh, I really invested a ton of my time into or definitely have come back to. But, you know, it's a pretty big series if you were an anime fan back in the, the mid-2000s. It was, like, right up there with Haru. It's yeah, just, for like, sure. kind of ubiquitous, so... You know, it's it's still going along, and the manga is coming back, and uh, we'll see if that maybe starts a second wind of uh, international popularity, maybe, if, like, you know, I don't think the manga for Lucky Star has uh, been licensed, but, you know, maybe that could be an opportunity to also do that, but... I think that what happened is that, yeah, it was published by Bandai back in the day, and then Viz took up the license. So I think that was like more of a license rescue thing. So I don't know if they would publish more volumes of it, but uh, we'll see. This is really interesting because, yeah, like you said, Lucky Star was definitely one of those series that like was just so big in the mid-aughts. You couldn't get away from it. I would see it online all the time along with Haruhi. I'd be interested in seeing, like, how anime fandom nowadays would, like, gravitate towards this kind of thing, if at all, honestly, because, like, stuff like Lucky Star and Haruhi feels like such a relic of, like, the mid-2000s, so it's just, it's just kind of interesting to see this kind of thing come back. Yeah, I don't know how different the anime be to the manga. Yeah, it definitely was a sense of humor of its its time in terms of being kind of like a, a nerdy comedy. And, you know, it's also like a four coma style story. So, yeah, it's a pretty, you know, loose and gag based. 
But yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I definitely, so hearing this news does make me curious to go back and revisit it to see how I gel with it nowadays. And looking at it, it seems that Viz continued to publish volumes past for Bandai Visual did. And so they released the last most recent volume of it, volume 8 in 2015. So presumably, you know, this series uh, collects some more chapters, enough to get a volume. Viz might uh, continue publishing it. So that would be interesting. Hey, you never know. It seems, you know, the first six volumes that were published under Bandai, they never released in print, they're digital only. So that's a shame for people who are like, ah, I would like to have the entire run of this in print, but I can't hunt down the old Bandai volumes. I feel like the only way we could maybe get this like in print would be like if they were to make like a new anime for it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, uh, it's it's a nostalgic series now, you know, and they bring, bring back all sorts of things to now for the past, considering how big it was for its time. Though, I'd be surprised if we don't get something for Harui sooner than later. Yeah. Well, now we're on to the subject of kind of new manga. And so now we've got a new series from the author Gorosene, Yuji Moritaka, that's gonna be out. And that's called Farm Leaguer, and wouldn't you know it, it's a, it's another baseball manga from the Hotter Gersani. It's basically, yeah, just uh, another story about a high school baseball team. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. This is kind of started civilization, and yeah, again... The author is best known for, like, a very long-running baseball manga. So, you know, just continuing uh, that trend. They just are really into the, the baseball manga hole. Like, probably as much as Mr. Rodachi. And, you know, speaking of uh, stuff within the kind of jump family of magazines, or authors in that, like Kaguya-sama's Akakasaka has been holding auditions for a new artist for his next work. And they are looking for submissions from prior work from artists who want to participate in this. And the overall winner is going to, again, illustrate on Akasaka's new series. So the deadline for this has passed and uh, we'll find out the winner in November. Basically, the Fortnite issue of Young Jump. So, that's going to be interesting. It's kind of an interesting contest. So, you just put it out there. It's like, hey, you know, I'm looking to collaborate with someone new. And I'll just let people show me their stuff. And I'll go with who I like. That's kind of an interesting way to do it. Rather than kind of get connected to another artist through the publisher. So, I'm curious to see who he finds through this. And who he likes. And what work will come out of it. And to also be starting a new work while, you know, still wrapping up on Kaguya and then still doing Oshinoko, like, they keep themselves busy. For sure. In terms of other new manga coming out soon from very popular mangaka, we got a new title from Mario Okazaki, best known for Suckley and will be single forever. And their new title is going to come out on the 43rd issue of Become a Spirit, summer October 3rd. It's called Light Brew Embryologist. And yeah, it's basically a workplace drama focused on an embryologist and infertility treatment specialist. So that's a very interesting kind of profession and discipline to kind of focus in on and then kind of to make a drama about and definitely there has probably to be a lot of drama in that specialty so yeah it definitely sounds very interesting definitely been keen to check in on more of Okazaki's work especially after you know my comic-con panels and hearing folks like Deb and Laura really talk about how much they like her stuff like Suppley so definitely definitely very keen to learn more about this and uh, see the buzz 
of it when it comes out. And hopefully maybe this might be one we see licensed one day. It'd be nice to have new works from her available in the future. Similarly, we're getting a new work from Maki Minami in Melody Magazine that's going to come out in the next issue of it on October 28. It's called If You Keep It Secret Flower. And it's basically going to be a survival story about the up and sundown entertainment industry, focusing on a beautiful actress with secrets you can't tell anyone. So, in a sense, you know, it has similarities and premise to stuff like, you know, Skip Beat or Oshinoko and stuff like that in terms of an acting manga. So that's how she's curious. And I'm familiar with Minami from her series Special A and also did VoiceOver Seiyu Academy. And both of those works are available here by Viz. So, yeah, definitely keen to check out a new work from them, especially with this premise. And yeah, another one to watch out for if it may get licensed in the future, much like her previous work. Now, another one I'm super excited for is, you know, speaking of stories about, like, actors, people in the entertainment industry, we got a new work from uh, the new game author, Shotaro Tokono. It's called Idol Idol Story that is started up running in Comic Fuzz, uh, the manga app and website. And yeah, it's about uh, an actress, you know, in her early 20s. She's a former idol uh, who gave up on her dream and now she balances her college education with a part-time job. Job. And then she attends like a photo meeting greet with like another idol. And, you know, she's been interested in her. And after this meeting, what are their lives begin to change? Maybe does she get back into the idol entertainment world? Uh, it's going to be interesting to hear about this premise and what directions it might take. But yeah, again, another one about like the entertainment industry, the idol industry. Uh, and of course, I was a big fan of new games. So very much excited to read a new work from Tokuno. And uh, it sounds this might go in a much more serious direction. New game could have its like more serious moments, but it was generally pretty right. But based on the key art for this and the way the character looks, like it definitely makes me feel like oh, this is gonna be taken, you know, a little more like seriously, dramatically from the start. So very curious to see where this one goes and read this work as well. And I got another one that I hope to see licensed, you know. And speaking of authors I really like, Keito Gaku, we had discussed before that he was coming out, he was working on a new manga, and now we know more about it in terms of like title and having some art for it. It's going to be called Blue Basket. It's going to start on the Comic Days web service on September 16th. Basically going to be about a basketball team. So I don't know if it'll carry on some exploration of the characters or themes like uh, boys don't run the riot but regardless i really like Gaku's storytelling and i'm interesting to read this sports series from this backable series for them i think that the art of the team looks pretty cool so yeah uh, i'm very much excited for this and again another one that i hope uh, we can read officially in english pretty soon it'd be great if Kanachi could do a simul for this but i don't know if they will but regardless i hope we can read it in the future you know reasonably quickly I think at the very least, if this is under Kodansha, then we could probably at least see digital release for the volumes in the future, probably. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. That we could see a quick turnaround on that. Well, hopefully not the cost of quality, but I feel like this is one that they'd be interested in licensing for sure, if it ends up being successful in uh, the short term, uh, if it seems like it will be. 
But the final piece of Sailor Studio that I thought was interesting is that in, you know, American comic series, uh, Devil's Candy, that, you know, it's been around as a webcomic since 2014. It actually got its start as a one-shot in the Tokyo Pop Rising Stars manga competition. It's like the first story, basically, in that first volume of the Rising Stars. So it's had, a, like, a long journey in terms of, like, its development and its life and been running as a webcomic for many years before being licensed as a Viz original and now like you know it's taking its manga inspirations full circle because it's actually going to be serialized in a Japanese manga magazine it's going to be serialized in Katakura's Aokishi magazine starting on its October issue on October 20th and I just thought that's pretty cool you know again this was like a hugely manga inspired series and now it is going to be run in a manga magazine it's going to be run alongside the likes of a Bridester and go with the clouds and the other titles in uh, Aokishi. So it's super cool. And I think that's pretty telling of like how much the manga industry is really focused on and thinking about like international talent and kind of, you know, promoting, cultivating that. And we kind of have, you know, some examples of that with a few interesting new developments in terms of contests that are like looking for new works and stuff. So first uh, we have something called Manga Meets, which is like a new kind of female targeted manga app and they are like holding a manga contest for their second anniversary and the top prize for it involves a serialization deal with the app but also with Comic-Key. Basically the winning work will be published on Comic-Key so they're teaming up with Comic-Key to again promote the work in English as well and uh, the winner of the contest the top prize for them will be about $2,165 and uh, all submissions need to be like three chapters of a story in webtoon format and the deadline for this October 11th and there's also like a separate manga competition with different categories including character line art, character coloring, character backgrounds and yeah again the top entries in these contests will also get a serialization deal with manga me so yeah it's pretty again interesting that it's like they're very much focused on like kind of international exposure and also opening things up to international look both audiences and artists and that's especially true of what manga plus is doing with this kind of new creators section on the app basically they kind of added this new like user submitted portal on the manga plus app where people can submit their own comics and they run this contest like every month a monthly manga award that'll be judged by the jump plus editorial department where the winning entry of that will basically not only be rewarded like up to a million yen in cash prize which is about seven thousand two hundred dollars but also the winning entries will get published on manga plus the main part of it and shonen jump plus uh we get japanese translations so that's pretty cool to see like that open up to like uh international audiences like that and basically how the contest works is that it is based on the most popular like manga that are published on the app within like the first seven days of it posting and basically it takes into account like the entire month and the entries are judged starting from the seventh of the next month so that gives like works that are published like in the last year month a little chance to also gain a bit of viewership and stuff and yeah it's like evaluating how much engagement the work has in addition to like kind of the popularity of the work itself or the quality of the work itself so yeah i think that's kind of an interesting way to do it 
And I'm very curious to see the long-term sustainability of this, like what'll come out of this, like some of the creators, artists that submit their work through this portal and, you know, end up winning, whether that it could lead to like serialization user stream or bigger deals in terms of like getting their comics polished elsewhere. And yeah, I think it's, it's pretty cool that, yeah, they just have kind of opened up like this user bit of comics portal, like on the Manga Plus app itself. Where it's like, you know, if you're already reading like these Shonen Jump comics, you can then just kind of click a tab over to read some of these like independent comics from up and coming artists. And your readership kind of goes into entering them in like these prize competitions that, you know, could be a big boost to the career. So I, I think this is a pretty cool thing that they have kind of started up. And uh, yeah, I'm interesting to see what will come of it. So, in terms of other Jump app news, we got a pretty big series added to the Shonen Jump Vault recently. We recently had, you know, Ryu Fujitake's Wakwak added, and so we were wondering, oh, what's going to happen? Uh, is Oshinengi going to come at some point? And indeed it has. Oshinengi has been added to the Jump Vault. And yeah, you basically read all of it there right now, which is great. That's another one off the list of things that hadn't been on there before, that are now. So now we're just waiting on, you know, Tagashi's stuff, and then Slam Delic and Ice Shield. So, hey, again, it's one off the list and it's a bit, a pretty long, pretty big series. So, it's great to have that on there. Mm hmm. I definitely can't wait to get to this at some point because Hoshinengi is definitely another one of those series that, like, I remember always seeing volumes of at my local borders back in the day, but had just never got around to reading. And so, yeah, I'm glad that I finally have the chance to read all of it on the Shonen Jump app because uh, I probably mentioned on the show before that I, re- I really wanted to give that new anime a chance, but the first episode just so totally killed any interest I had in watching it because they tried to cover so much in one episode. Uh, so, I'm glad the manga is available. Yeah. Again, great. For accessibility and definitely another series that you know, I really enjoy the first couple of volumes of and definitely if I wanted to get back to for a while and we'll be glad to now that it's on the app. Taking things on an app, you know, Loving Yamada Level 999 uh, has been kind of running for a couple years in Mangamo now, but now it is officially caught up to the Japanese translation and it's like officially become a Samopub starting uh, from 78 chapter onward. So that's really great. I really enjoy the series and I'm a little behind on it, but definitely cool and glad to see it get to the point where it's like an official Samopub. You know, in addition to that, like another one of the series that we don't cited on Mangamo that also recently ended up kind of finally finishing its run so I was happy to see that too so yeah again like I'm very much looking forward to reading Loving Yamada and then catching up when I want to be your girl and this is a pretty good time too since I believe that there's been rumors rumbling of an anime coming for Loving Yamada so Ooh. You know, this is pretty good time for the slime book to get caught up on uh, Magamo here in preparation for that. So speaking of other stuff available on apps, Oski has added a few new titles from Glacier Bay and Starfruit, including Red Riding Hood's Wolf Apprentice Final Testament to the Noon by Sayaka Mogi, which they are basically publishing as Glacier Bay books is releasing in print. So they basically are publishing new chapters on the app as Glacier Bay publishes them. And yeah, this is basically about, you know, uh, a world in which like, 
werewolves have kind of come scarce. So this is kind of a story about two of the remaining like werewolf twins and, you know, just exploring kind of like the tribe and then surviving and uh, kind of like this world of humans and beast skin and hunters. So yeah, it seems like an interesting fantasy drama. And then uh, another title that they have from Starfruit is Doomsday Cleaning by Saki, which is about a robotic vacuum that keeps cleaning up the apocalypse and, you know, uh, basically a pig who's also like kind of their companion that's just kind of tagging along with them. And, uh, you know, it's basically like Wally. Like, after collecting a lot of garbage, you know, something to have to robot. What will that be? I'm curious to see. And yeah, this is basically a one-shot, and it's gonna come out in print soon from Starfruit. But, if you wanna read it digitally, you can check it out from Oski. So yeah, again, really great to see Oski continue to work with kind of independent publishers to publish really great titles on their app. And yeah, that's what made Godski really stand out as an app is that they have stuff from the smaller publishers. And I think that's just great in terms of, you know, giving uh, them more exposure, more of a platform. And yeah, definitely they sound like interesting titles that I definitely would love to check out. Now getting to some other licensing stuff. We got a new title coming from One Piece Books, a fantasy comic series called The Wrong Way to Use Healing Magic. It's basically, you know, an izakai where like two of the most academically talented students in a, in a classroom get kind of uh, transported into, again, another world. And the main character is like forced into like a hellish nightmare training in order to empower like his one-of-a-kind magical talent, which is what don't you get from the title? Healing Magic. So so they are releasing this title both as a light novel, manga series, a light novel is coming out this month, and then the manga is coming out in November. So it doesn't seem like it has a super different premise from most this guy stuff, but it seems to be more focused on the comedy of the premise as opposed to, you know, taking it too seriously. I'm definitely curious to check it out. And... We got a lot more licenses coming from Yen Press. They were only one of the big publishers that really announced a big selection of books uh, in the previous month. And they got some really cool stuff. So they got School Life Letters, the sequel to School Life by Narita Kayo and Saru Chiba. That basically is focusing on the school living club members after they've survived basically the big zombie apocalypse thing. And now they're kind of new stages of their lives. And they're going down different paths as they like are growing up. And they basically stay connected through life to help them remember what they've been through and what they're doing in the present and, uh, you know, staying connected. So I think that sounds like a very sweet, interesting premise. And uh, I still need to finish school a lot, but yeah, definitely. I'm very interested in the direction the sequel series takes in terms of like, well, we survived this big thing and now we're kind of like healing from it and we're also kind of separate from each other after going through this big dramatic thing together. So yeah, very, very curious. In terms of other, like, spin-off sequel stuff, we got Hirano and Kagiura from Show Harusono, who is doing the writing, and Katoko Hajitoji, who's doing the writing. I mean, Show Harusono is the, the original story in the character designs. But basically, yeah, it's about the character Kagiura when he moved into, like, dorms, and he was expecting a normal roommate, but he got a guy who's, like, kind of a bad boy delinquent type, like Taka. Hirano is kind of more actually of a, of a mother hen type. Like, he was expecting a delinquent, uh, Kagira. So, you know, his personality was not quite what uh, they expected. And then over the course of a few months together, you know, they kind of start going closer and start falling for each other. So, yeah, you know, it's from the creators of Sasaki and Miyano. 
related to the series. So definitely keen to look into this one as well. And so yeah, the, the light on for this is coming out pretty soon. We don't really have like a concrete date for like when these licenses are coming out. I don't think they've revealed that yet, but yeah. And uh, next we've got Assorted Entanglements. This comes from Mika Nuji, that's the creator. And this is basically an anthology about adult Yuri, basically, you know, including uh, a story about like a office worker in their late 20s who is like, you know, drowning her love woes uh, and job woes and like booze. But then she kind of wakes up next to someone. Like basically she wakes up next in bed next to like a worker at the bar she was at who doesn't want to forget the night before so that sounds like a fun adult jury premise though i've heard like kind of mixed things about like some things that might be problematic about it in terms of how the relationship pans out but i'm yeah i'm curious to, to read it for myself i really do appreciate uh seeing and reading more adult jury tales Next, we got another light novel, Bride of the Beery Master from Kareha. This is a premise that is another fantasy thing. It's about imagining like a Japan that was protected in the long past by five crystal pillars. And then our main character, Hana, was born to one of the branch families that defend these pillars using supernatural powers. But she's always lived in the shadow of her brilliant twin sister. But then she awakens to her own powers, but decides to hide them out of desire to complete her high school in peace. Uh, but then, you know, those plans are derailed when the arrogant head of another, her family's primary branch, Saku, like he comes in and he falls for her and forces her into finding a marriage contract with him. So can she rise to her true potential under the wing of her husband to be? So yeah, it's basically kind of like about a girl who has like supernatural powers and she is kind of reluctant to, to use them to use the more required life and then kind of might be forced to take up the call of duty as she's also kind of selected, you know, by like a big member of like a branch family and then also there's like a romantic relationship between them. Uh, next we've got a series called Sotis by Bittersweet, who is the writer, and Kay, who is the artist. And this is about like an educational system where underclassmen post trials and underclassmen, and the main character, Arhit, is like the leader of like these engineering symbols who is like trying to put their new juniors through a harsh training regimen to earn the symbol of the major. And a new first year though, a comic book starts to cause headaches for him when he declares that he's going to snatch like that gear from him, the symbol of the major, and also proclaims that I'll make you my wife. So <laughs> this seems like kind of a, maybe I'll live up to one of the artist's uh, names here and being like a bittersweet uh, BL story. But it sounds more like it'll be like kind of a fun romp. But yeah. And then the last license we got from Yen here is Tezcatlipka, uh, which is a novel from Kiwamu Sacho, which is set in the wake of a brutal war between drug cartels. And so one of the drug lords flees Mexico and goes halfway around the world where he runs into a Japanese organ broker doing business in Jakarta. And after their meeting, the two of them drive to Japan to establish a new business in the organ trade. And there, the cartel leader takes a lonely boy under his wing and the three people gradually become kind of inextricably tangled in this web of crime, violence, and human threats. So yeah, it sounds like an interesting story premise, interesting novel. Uh, the cover art looks pretty ominous and haunting. I appreciate how details. So yeah, definitely another one I'm curious about and curious to read. And cool to see and kind of publish more novels as well, you know, even beyond light novels. So yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting eclectic selection of titles that they licensed last month.
Speaking of titles, speaking of all this manga that you might be excited to go out and buy, well, there's been a major shakeup in the industry in terms of who is selling you that manga, in terms of, like, where you're buying it from. Because Crunchyroll kind of shocked a lot of us uh, at the beginning of the month by announcing, well, Right Stuff also announcing on their end, uh, Crunchyroll has bought Right Stuff, basically. Right Stuff is now under the Crunchyroll umbrella, and there were immediate ramifications from this because they immediately stopped selling any adult hentai manga, any erotic works. Basically, a new store has kind of taken up all of the orders that Right Stuff originally had for erotic works. Like, basically, all of that is transferred to this new store, which originally was calling themselves, like, Arrow Anime Store, but now seems to be be going to be named by anime.com which has gone through a lot of different setups in terms of getting off the ground i think there was like a website for it that was launched recently but now it seems like it's down again and there's like a questionnaire that it's kind of like in its place so yeah it's interesting we'll see what'll come of this but like yeah basically though it's a big deal a big problem that it's like they removed all of their erotic works just completely and it's probably because you know sony and Crunchyroll just want right stuff to be more of a family-friendly platform i guess because uh, a lot of eyes are on them they have like an image to maintain I guess maybe I don't know but yeah it's just a big shame because it was very convenient I know for a lot of people to get their erotic stuff uh right stuff at the same place that they get the general like manga anime needs so to go to another platform is going to be a little difficult and then you know for people who get their stuff from right stuff like in Canada uh or ship it to Canada you know there's a lot of like border patrol checks for on erotic content like packages get opened up and checked through but that usually didn't have right stuff because they were like a general retailer but for a more like erotic work specific kind of company or publisher that would probably get kind of put under scrutiny and have that stuff checked a lot more so i know that's gonna be frustrating for a lot of people i definitely you know heard a lot of people talk about that but yeah it, it definitely seems like big changes are definitely happening over there or immediately and it seems like they're not quite sure yet what this means for rights regarding nozomi in terms of like you know what rights crunchyroll has to nozomi's titles because of course nozomi's division of right stuff you know it seems like the dirty pair kickstarter will not be affected thankfully but you know in terms of the other titles nozomi has licensed uh, we'll see whether they'll just be folded in under crunchyroll as well which is most likely. And yeah, in terms of just other news to know about this is that the rights of commercial stores so far seem like they'll be operated separately, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get merged in the future. Sean Collector, CEO of Right Stuff, and the Right Stuff team have basically been integrated into Crunchyroll's emerging business says this organization. So they, they have been integrated into Right Stuff, uh, into Crunchyroll. So hopefully there haven't been uh, any layoffs on that end. Uh, and then, yeah, there's just also, again, again, regards to erotic stuff, lingering questions about, like, what's happening with the Pearl Mass label, and especially with, like, interspecies for viewers, which, like, 
you know, right stuff was releasing themselves. It's like now you can't even buy that on their website. So I guess you're going to have to buy it from buyanime.com. So that's kind of like a cursed license in terms of like it was licensed by Funimation and then they immediately took it down after realizing what kind of series it was. And then Mizomi took it on and they were going to publish it and now that has been delisted and we don't know whether you'll be able to get that from buyanime. So it's been quite a wild ride for that. So... Yeah. Yeah. It, again, I don't like the monopoly that Crunchyroll has kind of established. Like already, they were at the streaming destination after like buying Funimation and basically gagging, having like most of the big titles in anime that come out. But now they also own the biggest platform that anime fans go to buy their anime and manga. So. Yeah, they really control too much of this business, I feel. And uh, I'm not a big fan of right stuff being folded and integrated under them. And we'll see. Again, again, there were immediate ramifications for this in terms of the availability of these erotic manga. And who knows what other restrictions uh, may come out of this in the future. How this will continue to change how right stuff does business. And we'll have to see how that all pans out. Short term, it definitely doesn't seem like it's been very good for the consumer. Long term, we'll see how the right stuff operating forward uh, changes in a way that, you know, may be better or worse as well. Yeah, this isn't great. This could also be like an entire discussion on its own, but I, I really don't like something about the erasure of like erotic content, not just through like right stuff, but from like other companies as well. Like something about that just really makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that that's the direction that we're heading in. Yeah, this is kind of delisting the platforming of these works that, you know, people worked hard on to create and also people want to buy and it's just making challenging for them to be sold just on all ends. And it's really, again, just kind of an image thing of like, oh, you know, the credit card companies are a little dicey on whether they want to support people purchasing this stuff. So we don't want to post this stuff. And it's like, well, then you're not leaving a lot of options for a lot of people to yeah. get this stuff easily, which is what was good about Right Stuff. Again, there's like all there that you can get it alongside your other purchases. And now, again, best case scenario is that you use this other site that's still like in the works, still figuring out how it's operating to get your erotic stuff. But yeah, it's definitely not a great situation. Yeah, like, you know, it'd be one thing to erase stuff like, you know, God forbid, like CP child porn like stuff of that caliber like actually really disgusting stuff that really should not be available i'm all for getting rid of that kind of stuff yeah but that's not the stuff that was uh <laughs> ever being platformed in the first place on stuff like red stuff but but I, I think it does go back to the whole thing going on with tumblr and you know apple reacting to that kind of stuff being like stuff like that Stuff like really disgusting stuff, maybe being on Tumblr, and now, now it's just a reaction to like all porn that all porn is bad, and I I don't I don't like that idea or mindset at all because it's an overreaction to pornography like in general that I think is just kind of unsettling and again makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It really comes from kind of a prudish mindset that is like kind of masking itself and like, oh, think of the children. And definitely, again, like you were mentioning, there is definitely problematic stuff that should be removed on like these online platforms like Tumblr. But when it came to write stuff, when it came to like this official works being sold through there. And then, of course, when we talk about stuff like, you know, 
OnlyFans, and we talk about a lot of these places where, you know, Patreon, you know, places where, like, people making erotic works, so, like, we're doing their business, and they're making, you know, works perfectly, like, in their rights to, and then it's like, oh, now you've kind of deplatformed them, and it's just made them harder for them to, like, sell their works, and for fans to get their work so it's again just a unfortunate issue in like the accessibility of like erotic content yeah like companies genuinely look in the wrong places for these kinds of things and obviously deplatform like the wrong things most of the time because i i've seen posts online where it's like people talk about like the really gross weird shit that like they find on patreon of like uh, unfortunately people taking pictures of like children in like like risque poses and like models like it like really disgusting stuff that like and like that stuff doesn't get removed but then they remove the work of like erotic artists who are making works featuring about adults for adults and it's like yeah they have to work harder to identify who is really publishing and distributing like this gross problematic stuff and then like who is just making like you know just proper erotic content that's like perfectly in the rights of people to sell and people to enjoy yeah that doesn't hurt anyone involved most importantly yeah yeah especially when it comes to like again erotic art so yeah I fear for the future of, like, erotic material, you know, over here in the U.S. especially, honestly. Yeah, so, again, this was a big blow to that with stuff being bought by Crunchyroll and the accessing and all that. And, again, we'll see what other changes, other ramifications to write stuff will be happening going forward. Because also, write stuff also distributed, like, a lot of stuff from other companies, publishers, like, through their warehouse. Like, a lot of stuff from Sentai was basically, you know, distributed through them. So, I don't know how those relationships are going to be affected. So, it's, uh, again, a big thing for Crunchyroll to, you know, again, buy a major, the premier, like, manga anime retailer and then basically again just strengthen their monopoly their stranglehold over the the industry over here yeah in general this is not great yeah been denigrating crunchyroll for a lot but uh you know speaking of things that celebrate crunchyroll uh they're still doing the anime awards and their next anime awards is going to be in japan on march 4th 2023 and uh they're going to make it a big to do again they're going to have like musicians creators and guests at the grand prince hotel new takanawa's heaton main banquet hall in tokyo this is the first time the animals have been in Japan, and being in Japan will give them a lot of opportunity to host, like, a lot of Japanese talent from, again, people in production and creators and voice actors and stuff. So, uh, they're going big with this, which is kind of surprising. I was almost thinking that they might, like, nix the anime awards, because this year is, like, just barely any fanfare they just kind of published the results i don't think they they didn't do a show for it this year so a lot of people are thinking oh what this whole like sony buying a thing are they gonna like get rid of the anime words but no they're they're making it even bigger to do next year an even bigger show so uh we'll see i feel like i've seen like little fanfare for 
stuff like this. Like, uh, apparently they held like a red carpet premiere for like Dragon Ball Super Superhero and like nobody knew that was going on until like the day of or whatever. It seems like they've been really like not promoting like certain events for some reason, or at least not promoting them as much as they should. It's just kind of weird. Well, with the anime awards, especially it was notable that this year they didn't really have a show for it. They just like kind of published the results. But now they're like, again, doing this big thing about like holding a Japan and making it a grander event again. So that's, again, curious thing. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what comes from it. I assume it'll be live streamed like kind of the previous awards. So we'll see. Speaking of like awards and people work standing nominated winning awards. So the Harvey Awards are coming up at New York Comic Con, as always, of course. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, nominees for the best manga category. And these include uh, Shoujo Simi's Blood on the Tracks, Munoyuki uh, Kanashiro's Blue Lock, Wataru Nazatani's Gat Gamer, Tatsuki Fujimoto's Chainsaw Man, Yoshiro Suge's Red Flowers, and Tatsuzindo's uh, Spy Family. So I appreciate, you know, how eclectic this selection is, that we have representation from different publishers. There are two jump works in here, but they're at least, like, different in, like, ones that are shown in jump work, ones that jump plus work. So yeah, I, I appreciate that there's, again, a strong selection of titles here. And uh, I'm curious to see what'll win uh, of these titles, because they're all pretty deserving. And of course, the Harvey Words again, near Comic-Con this year, so sometime between the 6th and 9th. So we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. And this is the second year in a row that Chainsaw and Spy Family have been nominated for this. So maybe uh, this will be one of their years this year. Or maybe it'll go to a Dark Horse or something else completely different. But uh, we'll see. Literally a Dark Horse uh, in one case. But uh, we'll see. So, uh, I mean, I guess going back to, like, all this big company shake-up stuff, like with uh, Crunchyroll and Right stuff, obviously there's been a lot going on with Warner Brothers Discovery and then just delisting titles from HBO Max without any warning to the creators or fans and whether they're doing write-offs or they're just taking things off to not pay royalties and shopping things around. It's a big confusion over there and whatever they're trying to do say money isn't working because their stock has lost so much market value billions of dollars of market value so it's it's blowing up in their face this could be an entire discussion on its own yeah but with all these cuts happening you know it's let a lot of people to be concerned about whether certain things should be continuing on or whether they're also at risk and game rant basically reached out to wbd to ask about you know what tanami status is and uh, i've kind of of course like the company presumed to be like oh no it you know, of course, it's not going anywhere, but yeah, yeah it, it seems like no, they but Tanami Faithful then followed up uh, with someone who actually is like at like Adult Swim that they would trust as a source. And they were like, yeah, no, uh, so far as we know, Tanami is safe for now and stuff like that. So won't be impacted by their structuring things at Warner Bros. Discovery. So yeah, I mean, there's been some stronger confirmation of that, and that shouldn't be too much of a surprise because, you know, as much as the executives over at Discovery seem to not 
place much value in streaming and streaming content. They still are a big fan of traditional linear TV. So they probably see Tanami as like, oh, this is like a thing that actually gets people to watch linear TV. It's like a social event. So there might be value there. And of course, there's a lot of Tanami original series coming. You know, Housing Complex C is coming on October 1st. And, you know, the Marquez mentioned before that there's a lot of other original works that they haven't announced yet. They're on their way. Uh, of course, we have the FELCL sequels coming next year as well. So, and Uzumaki, hopefully finally next year. So there's, there's a lot of stuff coming. And so far, it seems those are not at danger yet. Like a lot of the stuff that has been kind of removed from HBO Max and has kind of been put in kind of like this limbo state by Discovery. Alright, yeah, everything happening at Warner Bros. Discovery makes me so, so worried about, like, just animation as far as, like, Warner Bros. is concerned, and, like, you know, th- they say that they're safe for now, but, like, honestly... Yeah, but they can make, like, yeah, a split decision just suddenly, and, like, oh, no, suddenly we decided we've changed our mind, you know? So, yeah. there's that flippancy to worry about, but... I would not worry right now, you know, just take things every day and, and evaluate the situation, especially with uh, all the bad press that's come out of the recent removals from HBO Max. And again, like how that is a uh, very immediately negatively impacted like their stock value and like lost them money. So I feel like they have to reevaluate, change their strategy. Which is like, you know, they kind of decided, oh, we, we were just going to completely cancel the Scoop holiday special. But uh, okay, you know, even though we already wrote this up, maybe we'll have it finished production so that in the future, maybe we'll pay off the government uh, or pay back the government and then be able to release this again. So I think they're like, oh, I guess this isn't going to save us money to not complete these things and just do the tax write-off because, you know, it's one thing to just do that, but then so much of, like, stock value, so much of, like, public trading involves some, like, public perception of, like, the health of your brain. So these recent decisions have led to a lot of not much confidence in uh, the executives at Warner Brothers and with Warner Brothers as a it's put in jeopardy a lot of their partnerships like with legendary studios so it's like yeah they they, they really gotta change direction here and so maybe they'll cool off on uh, some of these cancellations I do genuinely love how like this feels like one of the few things that like everybody can universally agree sucks ass quite honestly like no no nobody is happy with these decisions Absolutely no one, except for maybe David Zasloff. And that's maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. Well, see, I I mean, I don't know if this this plan worked. So I don't know. It's fucking wild. That's all I'll say. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see uh, the ramifications of this. Speaking of, like, anime available on uh, streaming services, you know, we already talked about House of Comics. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it coming to Denami, and uh, it seems like an interesting like, kind of independent, like, horror drama show. So that's cool. It's, it's cool to have this, even though we can also have Uzumaki. But uh, again, to speak about other, like, stuff being produced for other platforms, uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners is coming to Netflix on September 13th, and I saw the first episode of that over at Otakon, and I really enjoyed it. So, very much looking forward to checking out more of this. I have really no connection to the Cyberpunk franchise, either the original tabletop or the video game. But the show, you know, has the usual trigger flair and is just really striking art design, uh, propelling like start, you know, for the story. So very much interested in checking more of that out. 
now we'll get into a lot of new anime that has been greenlit and coming out soon. Uh, starting off with some uh, Jump Plus adaptations. So we got Romantic Killer, which the manga is coming out pretty soon here from Viz. The anime of it is actually also coming to Netflix. Now speaking of other anime coming to Netflix, and it's coming on October 27th. I've heard like kind of mixed things about Romantic Killer, the manga, but the trailer looked kind of fun. So I'm, I'm interested in checking it out still and seeing what it'll be like. But like, uh, I think the big announcement that came uh, is one of the bigger, like literally almost in <laughs> one reading uh, of a Jump Plus series, you know, that's uh, Kaiju number eight. Like Kaiju number eight has uh, finally gotten an anime announcement from uh, Toho Animation. And I feel like it missed the opportunity to do it on August 8th. You know, 8 8, but uh, you know, it's still exciting that yeah, Kaiju number eight finally getting an anime. And uh, we didn't really get any animation in the trailer, but they shot like a live action footage to kind of give a sense of like, oh, here's like a Tokyo and warehouses kind of like shot, like kind of a teaser trailer for like a kaiju film, which I think is appropriate. So very, very excited for this, of course. And uh, definitely, it, you know, it's going to be a big deal and uh, it's already a big deal as a manga. So it's just going to explode in popularity even more as an anime, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited to check this out. Um, also, to your point, to be fair, it seems like this uh, the announcement video premiered on August 4th. And when you multiply four by two, you get eight. So, well, then, it, you know, <laughs> it would have made more sense. It was like February 4th or April 2nd if they were going to go for that. But it's like, you know, but I mean, like eight, four, two, two, you know, at least it. Uh, well, like, no, there's three twos. So it's between two, 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 twenty, twenty two. So it's like, ah, I don't know, it doesn't... August is the eighth month in the year, so... It's the eighth month in the year, <laughs> but again, like, they missed the opportunity to be eighth month of the year and the eighth day of the year. I, I like that I'm really trying really hard to justify uh, their promotion, but no... Uh, At 8 a.m., you know, they, they could have gone really specific <laughs> on it, but they didn't. No, they clearly didn't try hard enough, I agree. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited for this. We mentioned it during our book scan list discussion, but... I'm fully expecting like a total takeover or at least not takeover, but all available volumes of Kaiju number eight on the book scan list at some point. It's going to the, the, like the manga is going to do very well because of this anime over here. For sure. And also going to do very well. And um, David Evelyn is really, really sitting good here with both of his big works like getting anime because undead unluck is getting an anime for 2023 which makes sense it's been kind of in climax mode uh for the series and i don't know how much longer it'll run but yeah i'm glad to see that it's got an anime announcement it's gonna get animated and yeah i think it'll come out right in time for the series then so it could be a complete adaptation and i'm happy for it and it's gonna be animated by david production so you know it's gonna have a really cool production it's gonna look really great and uh yeah so very very exciting oh yeah i'm so excited to check this out and i'm even more excited that's being done by david production oh man i'm i'm definitely gonna check this out when it comes out undead unluck is like the perfect thing to get animated like this is gonna make for a great show uh, speaking of things that are gonna be made in great shows by great studios you know studio trigger is doing some cool stuff on Cyberhook Edge Runners, but I'm very excited especially to see what they're gonna do on Delicious and Dungeon. That's right, Delicious and Dungeon finally getting animated and it's gonna be done by Studio Trigger. They did like a 30 second trailer a few years ago for the anime that looked really great. So, you know, they already have done kind of some work on the series animating it and bringing it to life. So a uh, full series by them is definitely a really cool thing and I'm so, so excited. 
Yeah, that's going to be really cool, too. I'll definitely be checking that out. Speaking of other, like, kind of fantasy and any manga works getting adaptations, we covered the recent Sugar Apple Fairy Tale manga as a simulpub when it came out last year. And the series is getting a new anime adaptation that is looking pretty nice so far. And it's also going to come out in 2023. And it is going to be done by JC Staff, directed by Yohei Suzuki, who is best known uh, from Planet Wit. And the series composition is going to be done by Seishi Minakame, who did Number 6 and Scientific Railgun. Character designs by Haruko Izuka, who did Umimonogatari, School Live and Hormia. And music from Hinaku Tsubakiyama, who did the stuff for Basabaki Bisco. And the other music being them playing like so. Pretty good production team, pretty good staff uh, involved here. Uh, good key art and design. So yeah, I enjoyed what we read of Sugar Apple Fairy Tale and the series. So definitely would be keen to, to check out the anime adaptation. Uh, but you know, speaking of anime that are going to be based on Cyberpops that we talked about in the past, Reborn as a Vending Machine is getting an anime. We don't know exactly what the format of this is going to be. I guess that wasn't listed. So we don't know if this is going to be maybe like a TV anime or like maybe those would be like adapted in like short, like 11 to 15 minute segments, which is something I could see maybe working or maybe we'll even get a movie. I don't know that hasn't been listed, but it is getting animated for sure. And, um, you know, I would be interested in seeing this animated. I think this would be fun to see animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I enjoy reading this one too, and I think it'll make for a fun series. Uh, you know, the trailer's pretty cute. So, yeah, definitely like look forward to this as well. Uh, in terms of other anime, look forward to the series that's been published by Dempa for a couple of years now. Heavenly Delusion is getting in anime, it's been rumored by Production IG. And yeah, that might be officially announced in the next issue of Afternoon on October 2022 when it's going to have the cover and color page. So, I wanted to dig more into Heavenly Illusion, but I've heard some great things about it, and it's cool to hear that it's getting anime, and hopefully that uh, boosts the visibility of the series as well, which would be great for Dempa. Oh man, Dempa better get ready to sell out of all of their Heavenly Delusion. That'd be awesome if the anime can help with that. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to hearing and learning more about the anime version of it, and uh, checking out the series further. Uh, we talked a lot about One Punch Man, but, uh, you know, speaking of things that are getting other seasons, One Punch Man is getting a third season. And yeah, that'll basically probably finish off the Monster Association arc, depending on how they paste it, depending on how long it is. Shikashi Kabota, the character designer for the first two seasons, are coming back for the third season. You definitely tell that they've been working a lot on Dragon Ball, as has been pointed out, with how spiky Gara's hair is <laughs> and uh, kind of the muscular designs of the characters here, but... I don't know if it's been confirmed which studio or what other staff is really coming back to do this, whether it's going to go back to JC staff or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it's cool to hear that it's going to get a third season. I hope that they learn from the second season to try and not rush out a production and actually give it, you know, some time, especially with how cool and incredible like so many of the fight sequences are in that final stretch of the Monster Association arc. You want to see those be animated right and done well. So hopefully the staff that 
comes back to that, was able to do all that justice, which is going to be hard considering the places it goes. But like, man, you we want it to be a strong level of quality. So I hope for the heights of season one. I just hope also not for the lows of season two. Yeah, there are so many angles they could take with like season three as far as like how many episodes it'll have and like how much material they actually want to cover, whether they'll maybe trim the fat in places like there's a lot of places this could go in terms of production. I'm really hoping it gets at least two cores. I would be a little annoyed if this only got 12 episodes. But how sorry it is, I think it probably needs two cores, yeah. At, at least, yeah. And I don't know, I kind of wonder if some fights are going to get cut. Like, I can't imagine they're going to be able to actually adapt the entire rest of the Garo arc. That's kind of the only thing I'm a little worried about, but I guess we'll see. In two cores, I could see it happening, especially because it's so fight-heavy and in animation that would move really fast. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I might have talked about it before. I didn't think season see, here's the thing. I didn't think season two was as bad as everybody said it was. The, the, well, thi- the thing I was season two for this because I like the story and yeah, stuff. Same. Like I think animation wise, yeah, there was like uh, some real uh cut corners, like there was a lot of limited animation. It was a lot stiffer, so it was That's true. It was still fairly it was okay, but it definitely was not as good looking and did, definitely did not move as fluidly and as dynamically as the first season. I think that's the issue, right? Like, I think if season one didn't already set the bar so high, I don't think as many people would have complained about season yeah, two. Yeah, but, but, but it I, I do, still I do wasn't agree. like a standard bar of quality season two. Like, it still was a lot more limited in animation than a normal production, even, I feel, uh, that is an action series. So I, I think that, yeah, season one set a bar but season two also went under the bar in many degrees no it did i'm just saying that season two wasn't all bad but i do agree that like it could have been better Mm -hmm. um so yeah i'm hoping they give the time that a season three of one punch man really really needs especially when they get to that final fight you know yeah especially because man the final fight needs just the attention to just really do it justice so they they gotta invest in that look if you gotta give every moment of season three but that final fight stick figures in order to make that fight look as good as possible i'm fine with it (laughs) maybe rely more on the web comic designs to be a little looser with it (laughs) Uh, maybe that would help animate it oh holy shit so so many people would complain about that but i would i would be up for it actually yeah well we'll see how it turns out speaking of other series that are getting third seasons the live action version of this Wolf Cuts TV Rohan is getting a third season set of episodes that are coming in October. And yeah, I've heard a lot of really great things from live action adaptation. You know, it's very different from like the anime adaptation in the sense that like it, the live action adaptation sort of distances itself from like JoJo's in terms of like not calling stands directly by name. It's kind of like and it sets it in kind of like a Rohan off in his own world almost a little bit separate from like the rest of the Jojo's Bizarre Adventure like kind of universe but it's a very strong adaptation of the the manga the stories and portrayal of the character so yeah I'm very much looking forward to seeing what the third season third set of episodes brings in terms of what they adapt and how they handle it because it's been interesting to check out 
And speaking of live-action adaptations of manga, we are getting a new Parasite live-action adaptation that's Korean-produced, and it's going to be on Netflix, called Parasite the Grey. And yeah, it's going to stream worldwide on Netflix, and it's going to be directed from Yon Sanko, which is involved in Train to Busan and Peninsula, Ooh. and it's going to have scripts from Ryu Yongjae, who was also on Peninsula, and also on Money Heist Korea. So yeah, like, I definitely curious to see how this will turn out. It's gonna be not a direct adaptation of the series, because it'll be focused on a new protagonist called Zhang Suin, who is, like, a woman who is, you know, a top side, but, it, you know, it fails to take over her brain, so she coexists with it, much like Shinichi Migi. And then there's a character who is, like, pursuing parasites to find his missing younger sister. And then there's, like, the leader of, like, a task force who's battling parasites whose husband is killed by them. So they're really reimagining the story. It's going to be like kind of just a new story set and using the concept of the parasites. So because, you know, it's going to be such a different take from the original manga, I'm definitely keen to check it out and to see how they're going to play around with the premise and portray it in live action in a different way from the, the Japanese live action movies. Mm-hmm. Just a quick update on something that we talked about. I think on our last news episode, we talked about how the 2018 Captain Tsubasa anime was made available on uh, Roku, but now you can watch it on Amazon Prime, which uh, for me is the preferable place to watch compared to something like Roku. I've seen some people post about how the subtitles are like dub titles, but you know, at this point, I don't care. I'm just glad it's available at all. I will literally take anything I can get. So I'm looking forward to watching more of Captain Tsubasa when I have the chance. Absolutely. I'm just glad that it's actually available on different platforms now for people to actually watch it after being kind of in limbo from Viz for many years. But speaking of Amazon, speaking of live action adaptations, Amazon is making a live action Paprika series. And it is going to be executive produced and directed by Kathy Yan, who did Birds of Prey and Dead Pigs. And yeah, it's basically going to be directly adapted from the original novel by Yasutaka Suitsui. So when I, this news came out, like a lot of people were saying, oh, why are they making a live action paprika? And it's like, well... You know, Cohen's film, it was an adaptation of the novel. This is going to be a different adaptation of the novel. We'll see how much it borrows from Cohen's film in terms of inspiration. But I would much sooner expect a much different take. But it is worth and interesting to compare it with Cohen's film. And so that's why I'm very curious to see how it'll turn out. And yeah, like whether we'll share like visual similarities, we'll take inspiration from like Cohen's take on the story as well. So it's definitely something to pay attention to, especially if you're a fan of the Pariqa film. You definitely, uh, it's going to be curious to, to check out this new live action version of the story. And yeah, I've been meaning to get around to the original novel as well so i hopefully can check that out before this new adaptation comes up but yeah you know i also like birds of prey so uh i like that this director's work this filmmaker's work so definitely i'm keen and looking forward to it on that end as well and uh, speaking of like uh film stuff we got a lot of film updates so unfortunately the second sort of online film has been delayed due to covid cases ramping up over in japan it was going to open on september 10th now it's kind of a indefinite when the film will be opened but uh, hopefully maybe it'll get open later in the the fall or winter but yeah that's a shame 
Hey guys, it's Colton. Uh, just want to cut in here real quick to give a small update on this news piece in particular, because I think just a couple days after we recorded this episode, it was announced that the next Sword Art Online progressive film uh, will be coming out in Japanese theaters this October 22nd. Uh, so we do have a date for this film now. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, it was delayed due to COVID-19, but now it does have a confirmed release date of October 22nd. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to give a quick update on that and now back to the show but in terms of other film news we're getting a new psychopath film to celebrate its 10th anniversary basically it's going to be called psychopath the film providence and yeah you know kind of direct continuation after the first three seasons it looks like you know uh, directed by noishi Shiotani again at production id distributed by toho and uh basically the idea is that the 10th anniversary project is going to carry the team of gratitude for the series's fans uh with tomokazuseki serving as like the ambassador uh and so there's also like going to be like a radio program that's returning to like podcast producing platforms like spotify on second Friday of every month, uh, hosted by Kenji Nojima, who did Ginoza. And uh, there's also a lot of other tie-in stuff that's happening with this 10th anniversary. So yeah, they're really uh, going big on celebrating it this year. And it's interesting to get a new film project from it. And yeah, I'm curious, I'm wondering if like it'll be shown in theaters over here in the US like the previous Psychopaths film was, or it'll just go direct to streaming. This is really interesting timing on my end, actually, because my friend and I actually just started our rewatch of season one. Uh, so so that way we can finally try to make it through season two, <laughs> even though I, I don't think it's worth it. And I think you can just skip it and go right to the movie, honestly. See, I, I hear that there are some things in season two that actually kind of carry over to the rest of the franchise. But I don't know how right that actually is, though. I immediately have not like watched season three at all. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but still, we're trying to make an effort to try to go through all the psychopaths that apparently has come out. Honestly, like, I didn't even realize, like, how much psychopath material had come out after season two. Because, like, obviously, I knew about season three. But then there are, like, a bunch of movies that have come out since then. And now this 10th anniversary project. Like, I genuinely did not realize, like, how behind I was on this entire franchise. And honestly, even though I'm going to begrudgingly try season two. Because I am, I'm mostly curious about it at this point, even though I don't know if I'll really like it or not but outside of that i'm genuinely really interested in seeing like where this franchise goes because i i honestly haven't like kept up with it after season one so it's like new stuff that like i haven't seen and that i'm weirdly kind of excited to get to you know yeah even i forgot that there was like the sinners of the system trilogy of films and then the first inspector film so mm -hmm. in a sense this is like the sixth film in the franchise essentially but yeah i did kind of check out of the franchise after the movie myself so there is a lot to catch up on which before this new 10th anniversary film comes out oh yeah but yeah psychopaths of the franchise uh still continues to consistently put out new stuff you know speaking of series that celebrated their 10th anniversary recently and are getting new anime projects uh haikyuu is going to get a new two-part film project to adapt the final arcs of the manga, which I know has a lot of people concerned because there's so much story content in what they haven't adapted yet, like like over a hundred chapters worth of story. But it's like, I don't know how reasonably they can fit it all into just two films, but we'll see how these haiku final films work out. I imagine like one film 
Uh, we'll just finish like uh, their inter high or whatever stuff, and then the second film will be like the whole like kind of uh, exhibition match post time skip. So yeah, I mean we'll we'll see we'll see how these film progress turn out and how the pacing will be for these. But I know a lot of people are really disappointed that they're not doing like the final stretch of the series like as TV seasons, which would give it more time to breed. But uh, we'll see. You know, uh, pacing wise, I think a lot of these games can work in film format, but it's like all this stuff around the games that could get cut that uh would be a big disappointment especially like you know if they're gonna do like the final match as a film that would work but i think would they have time to squeeze in like the mini arc where Hinata's training in brazil i don't know if there's time for that so we'll see how these film projects turn out but yeah i mean i guess i don't know if it's like confirmed confirmed that these are adapting the final arcs of the manga because we know that these are sequel films, but, you know, are they necessarily, like, sequels in the sense, like, they're sequels to the previous anime seasons that are going to finish the story, or are they sequels to the manga directly and be new stories? So maybe that's something that'll be more explained later. But uh, speaking of films, let's go into some box office talk now. So Masaki Iwasa's Inuo released at the U.S. theaters uh, recently, and it's earned uh, a little over like $300,000, $325,000 basically uh, in the U.S., so it wasn't like a big grosser necessarily, but for a limited release film, a film that was only in about 350 theaters, it was pretty decent, you know, but it just goes to show kind of the difference in like scale between like some films like that are getting released over here, like Inuo, that still play to more of a limited audience, to something like, as we're going to talk about, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, which was a big box office hit. It opened to a little over 21 million at the US box office, number one for the weekend. Gohan Beast tranced over Idris Elba's Beast <laughs> by over double, making over double of what it did. And yeah, I mean, it was the biggest, widest release for an anime film since probably Pokemon 2000. It was like over 3,000 theaters. The exact number was like up for debate for a little while, but I think most people said it was about 3,100 theaters on its opening weekend. You know, it's opening at like a little over 21 million. It basically puts it as having like the third highest opening for an anime film of the US box office after Pokemon the first movie. And of course, Demon Slayer, we had just missed kind of Demon Slayer's gross because Demon Slayer had like a, I believe like a 21.6 and Superhero had like a 21.1. So it made almost as much opening weekend as Demon Slayer. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, comparing it to Broly's performance, like that's more than double Broly's like $9 million opening weekend. Uh, so it had a huge, huge big start uh, over Broly. So, you know, big business. And it remained number one at the US box office for about a week. Then the second weekend, you know, as is suspected with anime films here in the US, like it took a big drop, uh, about a 70% drop and so only made about five million in the second weekend it was only at number five for the weekend in the second weekend and i think in the third weekend uh it probably won't rank in the top five it might still be in the top 10 but regardless it's been a big success because it has outgrossed broly's run right now it's standing at about 32.6 
million dollars by the end of uh, the weekend at the time of recording. It'll probably have surpassed 34 million. I think it'll be able to edge out Jujutsu Kaisen's gross. Jujutsu Kaisen ended its US box office run with 34.5 million. So I think it'll manage to edge that out. And with how things are tracking with it right now, I don't know if it'll go much higher. I think it has a chance if it stays in theaters for a little bit while to get to 40 million. But definitely it's not going to reach like, you know, Demon Slayer at like 49.5 million. I don't think it'll even reach Pokemon 2000 at 43 million. So yeah, it's it's not going to get too much higher up, but it basically has like cemented itself, I think, by the end of this weekend that I'm recording is like the number four highest grossing anime film at the North American box office. So yeah, again, really, really big success. And uh, again, the international gross, uh, and particularly the gross in the US, has done a lot to Boyo the film's like overall success because in Japan, Superhero did not do as well as Broly. It's not doing as well as Broly because it's only made about 18.5 million to Broly at the same time frame made like 34 million in Japan. So not a big hit in Japan, but here in the US, again, like not only has it surpassed Broly's gross and is continuing to climb, but also it is made and it's, it's probably by the when all is done going to have made double in the US what it has done in Japan. And and the majority of its international box office comes from its North American business here. So, yeah, like this is a big hit here for North American audiences. So I think that's what Toei might evaluate when thinking about what direction they're going to go with Dragon Ball in the future. It's like, well, this wasn't very received very well with Japanese audiences, but the international fans really liked it. It did really well there. So it'll be curious. It'll be curious to see what they take away from that. But overall, yeah, again, Superhero did really well at the box office. Again, the number one feat at the box office opening weekend is something that had not happened for an anime film here in North America since Pokemon the first movie. So it did make some big records so i was very very excited to see like how well it did and then well i wish it had a little more legs to like do even better like i think you know it's still very much a success story it's like still now the highest grossing film here and again still a big story that it's like more successful here than it is back in japan and speaking of like toei's you know anime films you know one piece film red uh, doing really well in Japan. Way opposite story of Superhero there, where Film Red has become the highest grossing One Piece film. It became the highest grossing One Piece film in just 10 days. It surpassed Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 as the number one all-time anime film in Japan. And it's basically right now at about $86 million just in Japan. It could very well climb to like $100 million in Japan. And so that would be pretty incredible. It's doing extremely well. It's like by far the most successful One Piece film there, you know, definitely the most successful since Film Z, which was the previously most successful One Piece film. So yeah, it's it's doing pretty big business. And, you know, we speculated about this when it would come out here in North America. Basically, it has been confirmed in an interesting, funny way. It was confirmed, like, with this collaboration between Toei and the USC Trojans at the at the Trojans versus Rice Isles football game. <laughs> basically, they had, like, a halftime show where the band basically played, like, three songs from One Piece. They played We Are, they played Over the Top, and then they played one of the teams from Film Red. And, yeah, basically, like, during the, the halftime show, basically during advertising, 
advertisements all throughout the game. You know, they were just promoting Film Red and like saying Film Red coming October. So, and you know, we there was even like a commercial where like Louie was telling them like, hey, watch One Piece Film Red in theaters this October. Join my adventure. That was surreal. Cool, but really surreal. <laughs> no, it was very surreal like watching a clip of like the We Are Performing seeing Luffy on the screen introduced and like talking directly to the audience and just hearing Colin Click and Beard's voice like just directing a, what would seem to be a very confused audience of like what, what was happening. But uh, yeah, it, it's such an interesting, it feels like a random collaboration, but uh, I don't know necessarily connection here. But, you know, it was cool to hear like a band perform like we are. I hope to see the performances of Over the Top and Eugenesis uh, if they get uploaded to YouTube sometime soon. But yeah, no, it's cool. And yeah, it's just nice to have the confirmation that yes, it is coming in October after all. Because, you know, that's what we had speculated because that's been the pattern, uh, you know, with superhero with Stampede. Stampede came out Japan in August of that year and then came out here in October. So yeah, it made sense. That's what I was expecting. But what I was wondering, what I thought about, it's like, you know, there are a lot of songs in this film. Will they need the extra time to like dub these? Because that definitely has delayed the dubbing of a lot of other films that are musicals is that they need to really pay attention to the, the songs and stuff like that. So I don't know how the songs will be handled uh, in the English dub of this in particular or whether they might delay the dub of this and just release a sub at the start and wait on the dub but I don't know maybe Otto will sing her own songs in English that's also the possibility that might make it easier for them but uh yeah I'm actually really curious how the dub will turn out considering how integral music is to the film so yeah it's gonna be an interesting one I'm definitely very excited keen to watch this film actually yeah based on everything I've heard about it Hey guys, it's me again. Uh, just want to cut in once again uh, to give some corrections slash uh, updates on this news piece as well. Uh, first off, Lum mentioned earlier in the show that uh, One Piece Film Red uh, had dethroned Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.01 as the number one highest grossing anime film in Japan. I am pretty sure that they meant to say number 10, because originally Evangelion was the number 10 highest grossing anime film in Japan, and One Piece Film Red has basically taken over that spot. Uh, just for the record, the films that are currently above One Piece Film Red are The Wind Rises, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, Weathering With You, Ponyo, House Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, Your Name, Spirited Away, and Demon Slayer, Mugen Train. Um, so just wanted it out there for the record. I just happened to catch that Lum said number one instead of number 10. So that was the first thing I kind of wanted to get out of the way during this break here. Uh, the second is that we do have more info on the North American release of Film Red. So like we said, during the football game that we mentioned earlier, uh, it was announced that Film Red was coming to U.S. theaters this October, but according to Crunchyroll, apparently uh, Film Red will be screening in the U.S. and Canada on November 4th, with ticket sales starting on October 6th. So that's very interesting. Not really sure why this is coming out in November when it seemed like, again, during the football game that Lum had mentioned they were advertising this movie as coming out in North America this October. Uh, but then again, that might have something to do with, you know, once again, like Lum mentioned, the music involved with this film, and maybe they need more time to uh, dub the songs or figure out what they're going to do about those in particular. Music rights are probably hell. I don't know. That's probably what's going to make this movie in particular probably a lot harder to dub than normal if they are dubbing it. I'm, I'm sure they're dubbing it, but 
I guess at this point, we don't really know whether this is going to be a sub-only screening or not. That kind of stuff is still up in the air, but, you know, the delay and release date might have something to do with that. Or it could have been a mistake. We don't really know that for sure. Who's to say? Like I said, ticket sales will be starting on October 6th, and apparently on that same day, Film Red is going to be making its North American premiere uh, that day at New York Comic Con. So if you're at NYCC, uh, you'll get to see the film basically a month ahead of everybody else in the U.S., so that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, I figured I'd come in here and uh, let you guys know that the North American release date had changed. And now back to the show. And uh, speaking about our One Piece news, you know, with how big One Piece is, you know, with this being a big time for the series, with the manga being in its final arc and the film doing big numbers and whatnot. Now, Mayumi Tanaka actually revealed recently that she kind of wants, she, you know, she's been flattening on her role as Luffy. It's like the fact that she's been Luffy for about half of her, like, 44-year career. And she kind of wants Luffy to be her, like, swan song, her, like, last role and conclude her work in voice acting with Luffy. So, like, when One Piece is over, I guess, she's like okay when one piece is over when luffy's journey is done i'm done but then my immediate thought with that is that you know even when one piece ends if it ever ends it's like the one piece will never actually end because the franchise will live on past the main series oh yeah so there will always be work for her to play luffy in other media so i don't think she can ever actually retire if this is going to be her benchmark of like thinking oh i want luffy to be my final role well unless you like really are dedicated to like just stopping with the end of one piece the main series then it's like well the character of luffy and then the franchise of one piece is not going away so you, you probably won't be able to retire i mean really Realistically speaking, when and if they do decide to franchise One Piece past its actual ending, like, she's never going to run out of work, assuming that Luffy's involved in these other, you know, entries. Yeah, that's the thing. If, like, Luffy is not a character that is going to be retired, even if she retires, because, like, the franchise of One Piece is so big that even when the series ends, it's going to keep going on. They'll probably make sequels. Like, they immediately made Boruto for Naruto, and it's like, even if they take a break from it, like, Dragon Ball, I... You can't expect it not to come back in the future. They not try to explore more in the world. They'll make sequels. They'll probably like reanimate parts of the series. Maybe you never know. Yeah, I mean that's that could be the whole thing is that they continue this idea of like remaking arts of the series for films as a way to be like, oh, you know, the anime is done, but here are like these nostalgic films that you can go and relive your memories of One Piece on the big screen or something like that. Again, the franchise is just not gonna end anytime, so I don't think it's like her benchmark is like Luffy's gonna be my final role it's like the role of Luffy is not never gonna be finished it's gonna be her one and only exclusive role that she's gonna voice and nothing else I mean that could be the direction she goes in but yeah I just thought it was an interesting comment from her related to this other One Piece news but back to film news you know One Piece Film Red is the most successful film in Japan right now and especially on the anime size but uh, for Japanese live action films specifically the Kingdom sequel is actually doing really well in Japan it's the most successful Japanese live-action film of 2022. It's like the third highest Japanese film right now. Or fourth highest, rather, because it's behind One Piece Film Red, Detective Conan, Bride of Halloween, and Top Gun Maverick. But yeah, it's done pretty well. It had a big opening weekend of like 33 billion, about 4.53 billion yen. And, you know, continued to do well like two and a half months, or one and a half months into its run. 
And uh, I think that's pretty interesting to hear about. And I really enjoyed the first Kingdom live action film. So I hope that we also get the second film, the sequel film in theaters over here. Just have it available because I really enjoyed seeing that. And I really am curious to, to follow the story on with that. So rounding up some of our news, we got an interesting comment from MAPPA's CEO, Manabu Autsuka, you know, talking about the upcoming Chainsaw Man anime. He revealed that the studio is actually interested in animating Fujimoto's other works. You know, we had been kind of talking about like earlier in previous conversations, like I would go by air. It's like, oh, I could really see this like animated or adapted into film. And it's like, yeah, I could definitely see that Otsuka is like also looking at some of these works and saying, like, yeah, I would really love uh, a chance for Mappa to take a stab at this as well but right now of course they're just focusing on Chainsaw Man but yeah it does leave the door open to be like hey maybe Fujimoto's other manga may be adapted by the studio or something. Yeah Mappa please focus on the other 12 series that you're working on right now please don't work yourselves into the ground immediately. <laughs> yeah Mappa is taking on a lot so definitely they should not overwork themselves and stretch themselves thin by doing two things at once but yeah you know I would be interested in to see them tackle like other Fujimoto manga in the future. Definitely makes me hopeful for a goodbye airy movie. Yeah, I think that would be just perfect. But yeah, and speaking of Chainsaw Man, Viz recently did a popularity poll for uh, Chainsaw Man. So we'll talk about kind of the top 10 results here and maybe some other characters that are uh, ranked interestingly. But basically for Viz's top popularity poll for the month of August 2022, basically uh, the top 10 ended up as follows. The Angel Devil came in at number 10, Pochita at number 9, Beam at number 8, uh, Reze came in at 7. Makama at 6, Kobeni at 5, Kobeni's car at 4, uh, 3 was Aki, 2 was Denji, and of course, 1 was Pupapo Power. So yeah, I think it's hilarious that Kobeni's car uh, not only made the top 5, but again, once again ranked above Kobeni. That's great continuing the meme of that. I'm surprised Makama is actually not in the top 5, but I think the meme power of Kobeni and Kobeni's car just uh, outweighs her even with how popular she is. Aki is a popular character still, and yeah, I mean, power is number one is something I definitely can agree with. Oh, yeah. And then all these other characters I definitely acknowledge and think are uh, fan favorites. And then other characters that were notable were like, you know, a lot of the other ones that uh, you would expect to be popular, but like Kwangshi was number 11, Yoshida 12, Kishibe 13, Imeno 14, Dark Disciple 15, and Yuta at 16, and then, you know, it goes on from there. But yeah, like, uh, I think that this makes sense uh, in terms of popularity rankings in terms of like who I would expect the international fan base for Chainsaw Man would be interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I voted in this poll or not. If I did, I, I probably would have just voted for power, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think I also voted for power. Mm. But here, why don't we go on to our next Viz poll with the One Punch Man popularity poll. And I can just go over the top 10 from the bottom up. At number 10, we have Zombie Man. At number 9, we have Bang Silver Fang. At number 8, we have Hellish Blizzard. Number 7, Metal Bat. Number 6, we have Moomin Rider, uh, the, the character I voted for. Uh, at number 5, we have Miss Terrible Tornado herself. At number 4, we have Genos. Number 3, King. Number 2, Garo and Saitama at number 1. And um, I think overall, I think I pretty much agree with the top 10. Like, I think these are the characters, if I had to think off the top of my head, are the ones that like I probably like from the series the most, or at least most of them. I think the 
only major character that I really like that is not in the top 10 is Child Emperor. I probably would switch him out with Zombie Man, but otherwise, these are like probably my 10 favorite characters. Yeah. Zombie Man had a lot to do in the Monster Association arc and had some pretty cool Yeah, Zombie Man's fucking cool. I could definitely see him make a top 10. But yeah, I mean, for me, I vote for Garo. Garo is easily the character I love and I'm invested in the most. That's and fair. Especially because yeah. he's like basically a deuteragonist for his arc, you know, for the past eight years and stuff. But yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm glad to see he came in at number two just under Saitama there. I'm So I'm glad a lot of people agree. And of course, King uh, is still a king in number three there. So not too, f- uh, in good company. I, I think Garo deserves number two. Like, I mean, quite honestly, he's probably the most interesting character in One Punch Man, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm just glad that Moomin Rider made top 10. I would have liked it if he was top five, but it's okay. I will I will accept top 10 for Moomin Rider. <laughs> I mean, it's still pretty good considering he didn't have like a lot of big moments in recent years. So he's still still riding the high of like the Sea King arc and his like big shiny moments there. I was going to say like the Deep Sea King arc is still besides this now Monster Association Garo arc the best arc in One Punch Man or at least is still easily like probably my favorite. Yeah. It definitely had the emotional highlight of One Punch Man. God, it's so good. Um I don't were there any other characters in the rest that we wanted to mention? Oh, um Atomic Samurai at number 17 actually. He's he's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte number four, he came in number 15, Prisoner was 16, Suryu 18. Uh, I think I am very amused that Black Spermatozoon came in number 13. That's definitely a character that, uh, based on the what I know of the Wicca, we'll be seeing a lot more of. Uh, and then Watchdog Man, I think it's funny, he came in number 12 as a character. He, for me, is like, okay... Definitely is just based on design there. Just the joke of him. And then a flashy flash came in at number 11. So, mm, man, I feel kind of sorry for Sonic. He is so low on this list. Yeah, but he also hasn't done any. He hasn't really been in the series for years. So. That's that's also true. The fact that he still ranks of a characters who have been a lot more prominent, like Orochi, one of the main antagonists of the arc, and then Tank Top Master, who had a surprisingly a lot of prominence throughout, you know, this still say something about him still being pretty popular. It would have been really funny if there were multiple tank top characters listed in this popularity poll. Yeah, there are like half a dozen of them, so. Like, come on, where, where's where's the fanfare for the tank top gang? We gotta start a campaign for the next for the next popularity poll. That'd be that'd be pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for news, huh? I think that does about do it. Again, it was uh, a lot to cover. You know, actually, one one character before we move on. Oh, sure, sure. Is not here. Psychos. I actually am surprised she didn't make it uh, into the list. She was pretty prominent. She was like the real like main villain in terms of like being like kind of the, the brains behind the whole Monster Association. She had like that pretty memorable fight with uh with Tornado and stuff. That was a good fight. Yeah, I agree. And then she became like a giant at one point and then became like a bigger battle between other characters. So, yeah, I'm surprised she didn't actually make it in the top 25. But uh, no, but going back into the wrap up. Yeah, like we were done with news. Uh, there was a lot to cover, especially kind of on the anime side of things. But yeah, like uh, a lot of big things are happening to look forward to. Mm, for sure. And I think it's time to get into community shout outs. Yeah, and there's been so much uh, that, you know, people have been doing and have been coming out. So there probably be going to be some stuff that I'll save for next time. So especially like timely stuff that happened that I think I might just end up saving for next time for sake of time. But we will see. I mean, first off, you know, 
I just want to promote, uh, in terms of fine sensitive stuff, like the Shrine entrance Kickstarter. You know, we had Jin on earlier this year, interviewing him about Shrine Comics and his work in comics and manga. And, you know, we talked that they've been planning this Kickstarter to have like this big compendium for all Shrine's titles, you know, in a manga magazine format. And that's coming out. And, you know, the, the Kickstarter has been up for a couple days now, a couple weeks now. And uh, they've met their funding goal, they're into stretch goals. But you know, there's still plenty of time for you to pledge and help support the creation of this really cool collection of manga-inspired comics published in manga magazine format. And, you know, uh, helping them reach their stretch goals, you know, allows them to add even more goodies into it. Like, you know, a free poster. I think, like, a big goal uh, to get to would be, like, having the first chapter of uh, Cave King get, like, a page extension, which would be be really cool so yeah definitely support them out you know the kickstarter will end on september 19th so again they are still have a couple days uh, at the time of listening to this for you to go support them out and i definitely would encourage you to do so and then moving on i have a lot of like dragon ball related community shout outs that i want to share we talked a lot about superhero there's been a lot of talk about superhero from a lot of different people so masako x he's made a lot of different videos on superhero that you can check out on his channel Kanzenshu did a big podcast on it like when the film just to come out from japan and so you can get some early thoughts from Julian and Ian about that there. Star Fox on Manga Mac interviewed basically like his friend about like uh, Light Young Lightning Bolt about his experience watching the movie and how hyped he was about it. And that also talked about kind of how you know big Dragon Ball is for Latin American fans in Mexico. So I thought that was really interesting. Our friends at We Got a Pod covered Superhero on their show recently. Mr. Fusion, you know, gave his, like, kind of sneaky talks on Superhero when the film came out. Our friends at Bethwido talked about the film. And they also interviewed the cast of the film at Crunchyroll Expo. And, of course, you know, the folks who are at Team 4 Star have also talked about Superhero. So if you want a lot of different takes on Superhero, you know, discussions of it, you can check out all those folks. And we actually recorded our own uh, for No Day Another Adventure that you can look forward to coming out soon as well. But until that's out, uh, definitely you can check out all these uh, other really great takes and discussions of the film. But in addition to that, there have been other really cool like uh, Dragon Ball videos that I've been enjoying. Speaking of uh, Team Four Star, they've recently started off doing these creator commentaries. Like they've been going through DBZ abridged and just reviewing them like a few episodes at a time. Nick and Scott and just commenting on like what they notice and what they remember about like how they came up with a few jokes or why did a few jokes a certain way, like what they're supposed part of what they aren't. I just find it's an interesting peek behind the curtain between the, the top process on like making series and what they think about it, you know, 15 years later, <laughs> basically. Which, you know, it's a funny joke in the first one of them where like they're talking about, you know, some of the people watching this weren't even born when we started DBZ a bitch, <laughs> which is a thing that made like kind of Scott's like you can see it in his face. Oh. It really like made his soul sinker a little bit just thinking about that. So that's pretty funny. But yeah, it's again, you know, it's just nice to hear them reflect on the, the series and also like what their thought process behind making the series and writing the series. Yeah, if you weren't going to mention it, I definitely was because uh, these have been a highlight of Saturday nights for me when I get off of work. I get to look forward to, you know, hearing Nick and Scott talk about Dragon Ball Z abridged and kind of their process creating the show at the time. You know, th th this has especially been really interesting and enlightening as someone who, you know, not to brag too much, but 
I watched Dragon Ball Z abridged like from the very beginning. Like I, I knew who some of these guys were from their past projects. So I was already kind of a fan of them. So it's it's just been really, really cool to like see them talk about the stuff like retrospectively. And I really can't wait for them to go over like the rest of the show. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also really have been enjoying a pair of videos uh, that Chris Stuckman did recently on about finally watching Dragon Ball Z Kai and Dragon Ball GT. And I like just his stories about why he finally got around to watching this series. Like with Kai, it was like, well, you know, during the pandemic, you know, he had a friend living with him and he hadn't seen Dragon Ball before. So they started watching Kai together and he had put off watching Kai because he was like, you know, original series purist. But then in watching Kai, he grew to really appreciate it, especially with the new dub. And then in visiting like kind of the original series and reminding himself of like kind of how the pacing was often interrupted by filler you know particularly during the cell games portion that made his appreciation of Kai even greater though as he you know and I agree with like the boo portion of Kai really did not do enough to cut down no not at Uh, all so it's not as well done but yeah, it was cool to hear his thoughts on Kai and then also to hear his thoughts on GT and like why he finally started watching and it's like, well, he was taking care of his kid, you know, a lot. So it's like, it's just something to throw on and watch. And it's interesting to hear like his valuations of like what he did like about the series and, you know, what he mostly didn't. But overall, I think his stories about like why he finally watched these things and then his like thoughts on them and like revisiting how his perceptions of them had changed from going into them and then coming out of them. I really uh, enjoyed his thoughts. Then. And of course, he also reviewed Superhero recently as well. So I'll tr- shout out to that as well. So yeah, you know, Chris Stuckman, he mainly focuses on movie reviews, but he is a big anime fan and especially a big Dragon Ball fan. So it's cool to have a couple of videos from him recently just talking about his relationship with Dragon Ball and watching a few different things from the franchise. So I enjoy that a lot. Now, speaking of GT, that brings us to another shout out that I want to mention from Axel Beats. Uh, he made a video that's kind of like building off of Totally Not Mark's video on why the fights in Dragon Ball just feel superfluous now. And to him, like in this video, he kind of digs more into it on like a thematic level of like what Dragon Ball was about, like the driving theme of like passing the torch from one generation to the next and how that basically started to get lost around the Boo arc when like Goku just took the torch back from the younger generation and hasn't given it back since and basically you know in describing exploring how the series kind of mishandled that team it brings him to what he appreciated about GT and like what he thought was kind of the perfect ending to the series and not the actual ending of GT but actually the Kiro's legacy film which really does bring Dragon Ball back to this idea of like focusing on a mentor figure passing on the torch to a younger person to take up the mantle of being the new hero and going off on a journey which is what the Heroes Legacy film is really about in the story of like Goku Jr. like going on the journey to to find a Dragon Ball so I really have always loved that film and I'm glad to see another person like really tackling on like yeah what's really special about it and how it really does kind of capture one of the core teams of Dragon Ball better than a lot of stuff in the franchise in decades uh, otherwise so I was very glad to hear a, a spotlight of film and again his analysis and exploration of that team of passing the torch in the series and how that was explored in the early series and then kind of lost sight of itself in the later series i think he explored that very well 
My final Dragon Ball really shout out comes from Matt McNussels. He did a great video. Uh, well, he did a Let's Play video on Dragon Ball G Transformation, which was like a GBA, like kind of scrolling RPG game. And, uh, you know, he, in playing it, said that he didn't really enjoy it, didn't think it was like worth it to play it. But like in watching it, I was like, oh, this actually looks really fun. I really like the sprite work. I really like how kind of the enemies are laid out and stuff. So I had a lot of fun actually just walking the through. I think he also had some fun riffs on a lot of the stuff that was on screen on GT in general. So it's like fun to watch in, in that way too. But yeah, I just uh, I thought in terms of like a better Dragon Ball related kind of video that I came across recently or watched recently. I really enjoy that and I would like to recommend that as well. And boy, there are there's so many shout outs to, to mention that I think I will be saving some things for next time. But I will close off by saying our Otakon podcast came out recently and I included a lot of shout outs, a lot of links to other coverage of Otakon from other outlets. But Sakaki was writing a piece for Chamami Faithful that wasn't out at the time of me publishing that. So I just wanted to throw in a shout out to his piece for Chamami Faithful here, his Otakon report as well for you to check out for again even more of Sakaki's talks and fakes on Otakon if you hadn't gotten your fill from our podcast about it a few weeks ago so yeah uh, I think I'll leave us with those shout outs this time uh, again there's there's been a lot of stuff out recently that I'd like to go over but I think I'll um, just save that for the next time at this point but yeah a lot to look forward to especially Dragon Ball related stuff there's been a lot of good coverage recently so go check all that stuff out for sure um i guess thank you everybody for listening to this episode of manga mavericks we hope you enjoyed it and uh i guess until the next time we come at you with all the latest uh manga news and uh you know whatever we're reading i think we can just go ahead and end the show there but uh we'll go ahead and plug our stuff before we head out uh starting with my good friend lum where can the good people find you you can find me at lum romayasha trainers on a variety of places like animation revelation and analyst wherever there's a lum romayasha that's where you can find me and you can read my reviews on mongawars.com. A lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planning to go out. Look forward to one there. You can also find, of course, con coverage, like our interviews on there as well with uh, folks that we interview at cons, like Otakon recently. We have interviews from Mari Ize and Dushi Fukawashi and Kakanuma to do trick team. So look forward to those. And you can also find on there the other podcasts I do, Lum Squad, the USF-focused podcast. I do with my good friend Andrew, Wacy Yushimura. We discussed the wonderful Lucky World, Mukakaji's classics, Savai Romcom, Manga, your Yatsura, having a lot of fun covering this release of the manga, the movies available from Disco Deck and streaming on Crunchyroll, and we're so excited to talk about the new anime that is coming out just next month, so we're really, really excited to watch that and to talk about that and to talk about the classic series that's going to be coming out on Blu-ray from Disco Tech next year, so there's just a lot to talk about with your Yatsura now, so if you want some classic comedy manga discussion, comedy anime discussion, definitely check us out, listen to us, you can follow us Twitter at Lum underscore squad on YouTube you can find our channel name Lum Squad just by searching for it and you can listen to us every podcast platform you can think of Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher and Anchor and whatnot and we also cross post episodes in the Mind Words feed and upload episodes early oftentimes uh, much early on the Mind Words Patreon and if you like the art I do for our, our shows the thumbnails I make for episodes or the animation illustrations I do in general you can find all that on my Instagram at Sarkworks 
All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page and check out basically anything I'm doing at the moment, even stuff I'm not doing at the moment anymore, but I still want to plug anyway, or even uh, all the guest spots I've done on other podcasts over the years that I have been podcasting. So once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Click on the podcast page and check out all my stuff. As for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks. We're at the $2 tier. You will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we will put it up on the Patreon for patrons to listen to first. But that doesn't always happen because, admittedly, that does depend on our scheduling and uh, what we have done at any given point. Um, so really, if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, you can listen to the final installment of our Manga Mavericks book club read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 2 Battle Tendency that I've been doing with my good friend Grant over at Grant the Thief on Twitter, also the host of such podcasts as Blade Licking Thieves, Super Senpai Pod, and uh, now Adventure Tomes. And yeah, uh, like I said, we just finished up our read-through of Part 2. It was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully soon in the next few months, we we will be starting up our read-through of Part 3, Stardust Crusaders. Uh, we really want to do more JoJo's, and we're really looking forward to it. But yeah, if you have not listened to our JoJo's read-through through the Manga Mavericks Book Club, you can listen to our read-throughs of both Parts 1 and 2 now over at patreon.com slash mavericks at the $5 tier, along with a bunch of other bonus podcasts that we've been uploading over the past few years that we've been on Patreon. Uh, again, patreon.com slash mavericks. Uh, sign up over there. It's the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do because everything we make over there basically goes back to keeping the website and the podcast up online. It really helps us so much more than you even realize. And yeah, again, patreon.com slash mavericks. Please go over there and uh, sign up if you so wish to. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and uh, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Uh, do you have anything that you're reading that you want to tell us about on the show or anything that you're reading that you want us to cover on the show even? Again, email us anything about manga or the podcast and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Once again, that's at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts and places like Spotify and wherever you can do this kind of thing. Uh, if you leave us a rating and review on these platforms, it really helps the visibility of our show, helps us get out there to more listeners. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. Um, but that is going to be about it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been episode 214 of the Maga Mavericks podcast. We'll see you guys next time for episode 215. Bye, guys. Sayonara.